Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by AG Chase Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making Coast of Mississippi and Mississippi, for that matter, such an amazing place to live, work, and play. I hope you had a great Mardi Gras. The weather was amazing. And uh, I know my family was out there just enjoying every aspect of it, and as they normally do. My role this year was to play babysitter for, for our, our, our youngest grandchild, Liam, who uh, isn't one yet. So he's at a beautiful age, a lot of fun to spend time with. So I have no complaints about having done that at all. Uh, so, uh, you know, we'll get, I'm not going to get into any big speeches. I, I, I want to I say that I have big, big, big... Um, prayers out for the people of Ukraine. And um, I've actually invited Ashley Edwards, the president and CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council. He's a former journalist, incidentally, and someone that I've enjoyed uh, spending a lot of time with. And one of the things I wanted to talk to Ashley about, because I know he's given a lot of thought to it, is uh, the situation in Ukraine and kind of where we are now. We don't normally talk about issues like this on Coast View, but everybody's thinking about it. So I'm thinking about it. Ashley's thinking about it. I know you're thinking about it. Uh, social media has literally changed the game as it relates to how you wage war in this world today. And we're all sort of in the midst of it. All of us are uh, watching the war crimes and the crimes against humanity that are uh, at, at play literally before our very eyes. But anyway, Ashley, before we go any further, let me say good morning to you. How you doing? Hey, good morning, Ricky. I'm doing great. Thank you. I see your beautiful water view out, your, out over your shoulder for the people who are watching on YouTube and Facebook. It's a beautiful day on Biloxi Bay, isn't it, man? It's a beautiful day out there. You know, it's, uh, it feels like springtime today. So it's uh, these changing of the seasons it really kind of lifts the spirits, doesn't it? It does. You know, it's a, we, we get our cold blasts and we've had some nice, cool weather for sure. But um, we get reminders that we live, you know, in a coastal community pretty regularly, you know, that, that little, that little tropical blast. Now, a tropical blast this time of year usually equates to fog. <laughs> so yes. we just have to kind of live with that, but there still can be some beautiful sunsets and, and, uh, sunrises and some, some gorgeous days to be able to appreciate. And frankly, in this moment, sort of appreciate our freedom. I mean, the, the fact that we as Americans we do take for granted, we really do take for granted the freedoms that we have. But I think everyone, every single person in America now and around the world, literally, is watching the situation in Ukraine and shedding tears and praying and, and wondering how in the world can we still do this in this day and age. It's, it's unbelievable, isn't it, Ashley? Well, it's unbelievable, Ricky. You know, it's unbelievable for a lot of reasons, but who would have thought in 2022, you know, we would be sort of regurgitating the worst remnants of the Cold War, dealing with this, you know, question of uh, what was then Soviet containment, now is kind of equated to Russian containment. Um, you know, it's it's an incredible, it's really an incredible tipping point, I think, uh, not only for uh, sort of our world politic, if you will, but also for this sort of generational shift we're seeing. And, you know, I think one of the most striking things about it, you take a guy like me, 
you know, I'm a, I'm a member of Generation X, a child of the Cold War in my adolescence. I saw the Berlin Wall fall. You know, I saw Reagan sort of preside over the ending of the Cold War, the dissolution of the Soviet Republic. And to see something like this happening, to have questions from my children about uh, nuclear weapons, you know, I, I'm not so old. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, not so young that I don't remember going through nuclear drills in school, in elementary school. Uh, you know, and you, you kind of look back on it, you know, the heck, you know, get under your desk and put your hands over your head uh, like that's li literally going to do much good. But but I would have thought that my children would not have had to grow up in that kind of an environment, that kind of a world, and and quickly were thrust back into that. And so I, I don't think you can overstate really how important this is and how much this could be a catalyst for uh, for the way that our world is going to start to shape up over the next 20 years or so. Yeah, it is really unfortunate. And, you know, I, I tried to try to think about it just from a practical standpoint, you know, what, what, what the average person might be feeling. And it's interesting as I was thinking about talking to you and, and reading, getting up to speed and sort of watching, you know, the various news outlets to try to see their take on everything. And I've got, I've got some points of view about that shortly, but, um, my wife, Ann, who, you know, we, we are both news hounds. We pay a lot of attention to the situation. And she said, you know, we're sitting here watching, people get slaughtered. That's what she said to me this morning. And the perception is the world's not doing anything to help them. Okay. I know we're sending some missiles in there and we're you know, trying to backstop some of their supplies and all of that, but we're literally watching. We're literally watching as they drop cluster bombs, buddy, that are not, that are not acceptable. That I mean that that really that equates to crimes against humanity. We're we're watching other forbidden bombs be used. We are watching children get slaughtered. You know they're bombing residential areas, and the way that it's kind of you know kind of where we are today, Ashley, it's sort of like there's it's like financial sanctions and sort of trying to impact the the Russian economy versus. What Russia is doing, which is bombing the civilian areas, it's uh, it's it's the strangest war I've ever observed in my entire life. Well, you know, the interesting thing about it, and it's, it really kind of flows from the old Soviet days, you know, the, the Western world has had to treat Russia and Putin as if he is instable, unstable, uh, you know, capable of escalation beyond what the world could tolerate. And as a result of that, there's this, you know, I don't, I don't want to call it tiptoeing. I think that probably would be the wrong word for what we've seen happening over the last four, four or five days. But unquestionably, we find ourselves in a situation where, you know, we're always sort of gauging, you know, can we stand a new iron curtain? Can we allow Russia to sort of move its influence throughout Eastern Europe uh, such that, you know, you've got those that sort of live on the western side of the Iron Curtain, the free side, the liberty side, and then those that live under the influence of Russia. And what's amazing to me is is just in hearing the commentary on the news shows and reading the various pieces of commentary, how, how quickly the American people and really the people of the world have forgotten who Vladimir Putin is and, and, and what type of government Russia has. I mean, we're talking about the kind of place that, you know, if, if Putin has a political adversary, 
you know, that, that guy ended up getting locked up. Now, Vaney, you know, he ended up getting locked up behind bars in a Russian gulag. That's what happens to people that disagree in Russian society. Um, you know, you look at what's happening on the streets of Moscow and St. Petersburg and people that are protesting against the war. And, you know, so on some level, um, you know, I, I am I am measured in the sense that I, I fully understand, uh, you know, what an arsenal of nuclear weapons could do. Uh, you know, we we remember from the 1980s sort of the, the lesson that the only way to win a nuclear war is not to start one in the first place. You know, it's sort of mutually assured destruction. Um, and the fact that Putin has allowed that kind of narrative to start uh, sort of percolating among uh, among the Russians, the fact that you're seeing, um, you know, ministers in government talking about that, the fact that Putin has put uh, their nuclear forces on higher alert, it, it's it's an alarming thing, and it it starts to make you wonder, sort of, where do you draw that balance over time? Is is there a possibility, for example, <laughs> that enough sanctions and enough pressure from the rest of the world? Uh, could lead to Putin's ouster. Is there a possibility the Russian people would would rise up and say uh, enough is enough? Uh, can that even happen? I mean, these are questions that you hear a lot of opinions on with no real, um, you know, no real agreement on what the answer is there. And so I think we're we're walking into very trying and uncertain times right now, and that's a that's a difficult thing for everybody to swallow. It is, and the thing is, it is so complex. It's very, very complex. I mean, you think about NATO, you think of the history of the Soviet Union, you look at his relationship between uh, those countries that used to be part of the Soviet Union and what his desires may or may not be, because we don't fully appreciate what his, what his real ultimate goals are, other than to establish his role in the new world order, however he sees that. But uh, it's an escalating military crisis. We all see that in front of us. And as I said, it's, it's, it's a multidimensional geopolitical situation that a lot of smart people say, a lot of really smart people say that in the midst of this really significant geopolitical moment that we're in, Ukraine, with all of its pain and agony that we're observing today, is nothing more than a pawn on a, on a chessboard. And, you know, how do we get there? I, I saw I saw this and I thought this was pretty good because we live in this 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 world of dichotomies. In other words, what you see on the surface may not necessarily be what ex actually exists. But uh, political scientist Stephen Walt wrote this. One can believe that Russia's present actions are wholly illegitimate and also believe that at a difference that a different set of U.S. policies over the past several decades would have made them less likely. In other words, you know, to what extent does, does our willingness, our lack of willingness to go to the negotiation table with Russia, talking about NATO and how all of that comes together, it's really, really super complicated. Hey, when we come back from Ashley, I want to talk about the role that media plays in all of this. And because he's a former journalist, Ashley's the CEO of the Business Council. Then we'll get the latest from the Business Council. But we had to have this conversation because it's on everybody's mind. I just wanted to share what I was thinking as well. We'll see you after this break. Subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We're talking with Ashley Edwards, the CEO of the Business Council. But I asked Ashley, he's a he's a former journalist and someone who reads a lot and thinks a lot about this stuff, like we all do. I mean, the, the reality is that more people are engaged around international policy and affairs in ways we never were before. And and the reason why is because we, we have we have more access to news and information. And not all that's not all that's accurate. Some of it's false completely. Uh, a lot of it's bias. I, I like the way that Russell Brandt talked about it incidentally. He said, you know, he's a he's the comedian, but he's also an intellectual. He's got a great podcast, incidentally, with over five million followers, I might add. Um, but the way he says it is you've got to dig, you know, when you, when you hear a particular media source, and I talk about this all time, all the time, you have to decode what they're saying because it, you know, there, there's so many political agendas and there are other agendas from advertisers. They're pundits. If you, I've seen published points where pundits are being paid by those who profit from war. And, you know, it's, it's almost impossible as an average American to sort through it all, Ashley. And, uh, and so, you know, the, the bias, the compromise agendas, the lack of credibility. And what I've always said, and you know, I thought the way that Alberto Ibargo, the former publisher of the El Nuevo Herald and Miami Herald, and now the president of the Knight, Found, Knight, Found, Knight Foundation and my dear friend, he, and I say this all the time myself, but he said a reliably informed uh, electorate is the most important thing we could do. And I always t- say that a reliably and accurately reformed uh, electorate is so important. But what he said is that so much noise on the national level, we can't, we can't even begin to sort through it. That right. the only thing we can ultimately control is what happens here locally. But when it comes to s- trying to sort through something like Ukraine, we got to pay attention to the national media. And it's hard, isn't it? It is hard, you know, and and it's interesting to see something like this happening at a time of such incredible divisions in our own society, in our own country. Uh, you know, interestingly, wartime is always a time in which you start to see uh, a, a move toward bipartisanship, a move toward uh, common ground. It'll be interesting to see if we're even capable capable of that, you know, in the United States. At this point, you know, I, I do think it's notable uh, as, you know, and I'm a guy that loves to look at, at the different sort of pieces of media. I want to hear what MSNBC is saying, what Fox News is saying, because there's a lot that can be gleaned from understanding sort of what positions the, the various interests in our society are starting to take. And the really interesting thing, if you look back to last week, just prior to the invasion or in the sort of the opening forays of the invasion, you saw this very distinctive split. Uh, folks on the right that were sort of coming out out front saying things like, you know, what has Vladimir Putin ever done to you? What, you know, why do you hate Vladimir Putin? What sorts of things, you know, ask yourself why you've been sort of taught or socialized to believe that Vladimir Putin's a bad guy. You know, on the left, you saw a, mu- a lot more war hawkishness than I think you normally have seen out of the left. And what I've seen really start to occur over the last six days or so is you started to see those narratives start to join a bit. Uh, You're starting to see a little of that war hawkishness on both sides. Now, when I say war hawkishness, I don't necessarily mean, you know, that folks are are suggesting that we send American troops in, although I have heard some of that. Uh, But but certainly folks that are, uh, you know, I think I think, you know, 
in American politics right now, being pro-Putin is a loser. There's no question about it. Uh, you know, defending Putin's actions right now is a political loser. And I think you see both sides starting to understand that. And so what you're seeing come out front, you know, is is these sort of foreign policy folks, these war hawks that are saying, uh, you know, look, maybe this is the time to sort of create this new pro-Western, pro-democratic movement. I saw Condoleezza Rice on some of the Sunday morning shows. She had some very interesting observations, you know, w- one of which is you keep hearing this narrative on media uh, that says Putin wants to sort of take a, make a return to the Soviet Union. But when you really study sort of Putin's, you know, academic credentials and his interest and in the things that he looks at, you know, he actually views the communists and the Soviet Union as contributing to the downfall of Russia. Putin is looking even farther back at the Russian empire. And I think that when you start to kind of look at what he's saying and you look at the policies he's starting to enact, less than a move back to the Soviet Union, he he wants to have imperial control of what he believes to be uh, Russian territories. And, you know, he sort of, uh, you know, Putin's a guy who uh, respects Peter the Great more than he respects Vladimir Lenin or Stalin, for example. Um, and, and and that should be, in, in my opinion, as concerning, if not more concerning, than the narrative that he wants to go back to the days of the Soviet Union. Soviet Union was a was a you know was a uh, un, an unwieldy uh, empire that was really not able to to withstand sort of the Western economic pressure. Um, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, you know, they were in an economic and arms race with the United States and with the Western world. It doesn't look like Putin wants to start an arms race now. It looks like what Putin wants to do is move into the territories that he thinks rightly belongs to him and look at the rest of the world and say, I've got 3,000 nukes sitting under my thumb, uh, try to do something about it, in, in essence. And in, in many ways, I think that's probably even more dangerous. Yeah, it is. And that's clearly why America is incredibly reticent to get to get, you know, to get engaged on this. I, I had the opportunity to visit with Condoleezza Rice along the way in, in my career, have her book uh, for her to say she has serious concerns about his current state of mind, which she said in the last few days. It means something because she's really smart when it comes to the, the sort of the geopolitical situation. And obviously she's you know personally witnessed so many of these players, you know, up front and personal, and that's really important. Um, I, I do think, though, this is a 9-11 moment in a way for, for the world. And I think the role that social media is going to play, <clears throat> I, I mentioned this in my conversation with Gerard uh, Gibbard yesterday, that it's different. You know, I've I've complained on this show about about artificial intelligence and news feeds and how, how social media works. But let's set all that aside for a second. The reality is that people have access to news and information in places they didn't have it before, and 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 the and sort of during the Cold War before we had the internet and all that, you as a tyrant could really kind of control the message. You can't control the message now. With one phone call to Elon Musk, you can suddenly provide internet access to an entire country. Think about how people are accessing information now. And I think what the you know the calculus for this that Putin has completely underestimated is the reporting from from the average citizen that's coming out of Ukraine to the rest of the world, and that that reporting is going to the mothers and fathers who are having kids killed. Who are who are Russian kids? I you know, I feel sorry for those Russian kids actually that are over in Ukraine getting killed by the hundreds or thousands. We don't know what the numbers are exactly, but what what 
to what level will that create an uprising because this information, you can no longer control the message. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how that factors in. The world, it's a 9-11 moment for the world right now. Well, it's amazing to me how much the Western world underestimated Ukraine and the Ukrainian people. I watched a documentary on the weekend uh, on Netflix. It was about the sort of Ukrainian revolution in 2014. Uh, they had a president at the time that was a stooge of Putin, uh, just sort of a stooge of Russia. And 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 the, the links that the Ukrainian people went to to say, we will not live under a Cold War mindset. We want to be European. We want to be a free people. We want to live in a free society. And, you know, it 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 has absolutely touched my heart to watch the things going on in Ukraine. And to your point, Ricky, unlike most conflicts that we've been able to see in world history, this is one that's going to play out on social media. People are going to see the, the, the camera phone videos of, of shelling taking place. I watched a video yesterday where a, a gentleman and his father were in the truck with a dog. The Russians opened fire on him and killed the dog, killed his father, and he pulled his father's body out of the street. Um, when you watch those kind of things happening, knowing that those are happening in real time, uh, it sticks with you. And, uh, you know, look, we're six days into this. It's going to become more brutal. Putin is, is he does not like to lose. He does not like to be made a fool of. There's no question. What we The worst is yet to come. We are going to see much worse coming. And the question really becomes sort of the conscience of the West. How, how much can we watch of, of free peoples being uh, subjugated by authoritarian rule, uh, being killed in the streets, uh, women and children being slaughtered before the Western world says we have to we have to take action. It's going to be an interesting question as we go forward. And President Zelensky is now sort of the face of freedom, the face the face of peace loving people, the face of inspiring leadership, and God forbid he becomes a martyr. I'm I'm so I'm right. so. Scared that the that we're going to hear that, and then what, Ashley? You know, you know, and and unfortunately, uh, Machiavelli was right in some respects, and that is that people have short memories, and I hope that we don't have a short memory on this one. We did not on nine eleven for our quiet. You know, we kept our memories pretty much intact for a good long time. We even forgot about that at one point. But actually, we didn't we didn't have a chance to visit on the latest on the business council. We'll get you back in next week or so, and we'll do that. But I'm glad you were willing to have this conversation with me. Um, It's on my mind. I know it's on your mind. It's on everybody's mind. And uh, hopefully we gave somebody something to think about it. And we'll continue the conversation, my friend. Thank you, Ricky. Thanks so much. Okay. God bless you, my friend. And uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to have a special replay of my conversation with Matt McDonald, who's got an important health uh, uh, message to share. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. A Supertalk Mississippi media production.